Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Romans chapter 9. Now, uh, three weeks ago or so, we started this series called The Five Laws of Grace. And I told you that we were going to be a bit theological over this series because these are some extremely important things for us to know. And they are at the core of our beliefs. The core of our beliefs. These are the essentials, basically. You know, the um, and these laws that we find, it's kind of interesting to say the laws of grace because we understand that the law of Moses was much different than grace because uh, John even made the contrast when he said, through Moses came the law, but through Jesus Christ came grace and truth. All right? But there are laws. There are laws now. And these laws are not contrary to you. These laws are not against you as the law of Moses was. Now these laws are actually to your benefit. All right, and so we've, we've looked at, well, today we'll look at the third one, but the list of laws that we've been covering, uncovering from the New Covenant are, number one, the law of faith, which we, we talked about, that faith changes your position with God, and faith uh, uh, gives you access to God's favor. And then we talked about the law of the Spirit a couple weeks ago, that the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death, that it has made you free. It's, being made free is better than being set free. When you're set free, you still have the potential to go back into bondage, but when you're made free, bondage can't touch you. The scripture says, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law, you're under grace. Hallelujah. You're made for you're born into a kingdom of freedom. Hallelujah. And so the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made you free. And then we talked about some of the barriers that might keep you from that flow of the spirit in your life. And we looked into John chapter 4, the the story of the woman who was at the well. Remember the Samaritan woman, and Jesus came and talked to her. And in this conversation, we found these barriers, the barrier of prejudice, the, the barrier of, um, of selfishness, the barrier of carnality, the barrier of pride, the barrier of dishonesty, and the worst one, the barrier of religion. But now you, we all have received this law of the Spirit to, to rise above every potential barrier. And, and when you read the Old Testament, you actually can find these laws that we're covering uh, if, you, if you understand these things. And, and, but the children of Israel, along the way, the people of Israel, began to distrust these laws. And so then they <clears throat> had to have the law of Moses given to them. And, uh, and these laws that are as follows, what we're talking about, to the law of faith, the law of the Spirit. Today will be on the law of righteousness. Next week, the law of the tithe. And then Week five, the law of Christ. Now, just because I said next week's the law of the tithe doesn't mean you can skip church that Sunday. <laughs> All right. I'm going to talk to you about what the new covenant law of the tithe is. It's very freeing. Very freeing. Amen. I'm grateful to God for it. But today we're on the law of righteousness. So the, the law, laws are not forced upon us as individuals. They are standards to which we willingly Comply. A law is something that does not dictate, but it sets a standard. Uh, just by a show of hands, and we are in church, so I ask you not to lie to me, all right? Just by a show of hands, how many of you actually purposefully stop at stop signs? Yeah, there's, well, there's a few of them. There's a few. Now, we do have a deputy sheriff in the building. <laughs> Purposefully stop it. Stop. Notice the majority of you, thank you for your honesty. 
And I don't believe all of you that raised your hand either. So I just don't know. But the deputy's walking around with citation. Uh, anyway, um, but that's, that's something that, that as you're driving, if you're not careful, you can just not obey that law. And it's not a suggestion. The sign doesn't say, would you please kindly cons- be considerate and, and slowly bring your car to a complete stop. We, we, we're, we highly recommend that you stop. I know it just says stop, right? And we need people to comply to that, you know, especially if we're coming through the intersection and we don't have a stop sign. We appreciate that people stop. But the truth is most people don't stop. And if you don't stop, you've actually broken the law. Uh, Heather and I were driving through our neighborhood a few weeks ago, and all of a sudden I look in my rearview mirror, and I've, I've got a police officer pulling me over. I thought, what the heck did I do? And he told me that I didn't make a complete stop at this stop sign in my neighborhood. And, uh, and I, I just, I thought for sure that I did. But you know, when I really got to thinking about it, I thought, I don't, I don't remember having a, making a conscious effort to stop. <laughs> just routine. And fortunately, he gave me a warning, but, and we got off there. But the law of righteousness I want to help you today, is, is above all of that kind of stuff, above just compliance. Look at Romans chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 30. Romans chapter 9, verse 30. What shall we say then, that Gentiles, in other words, that's you, who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? Isn't that interesting? You weren't looking for it, you weren't pursuing righteousness, but you attained it by faith. Look at the next one. But Israel... Pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. Now, why is that? Verse 32. Why? Because they did not seek it. How? By faith. But as it were, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Righteousness, the word righteousness, if just brought to, down to a, a nutshell, would be to walk a straight line, to walk a straight line. And so because of that definition, there can be a misunderstanding about righteousness to be about performance. But righteousness is not about performance. The thing is, I've seen people do through the years, Christians, and, and, and this is a subtle thing, but it's a, it's it's a subtle mistake, but it, it, it has great consequences to it. And that is they mingle holiness and righteousness together as if they're the same thing. Now, even though they are similar, yet they both come from different sources. Righteousness is a gift from God to you. Holiness is the fruit that you grow in your life as a gift to God. Righteousness is the grace of God. Holiness is your faith in action. Everybody got that? Is that simple enough for you? Uh, and, but, but just the, that the common misusage of those two things brings confusion. And it causes a believer to not really walk in their true freedom. Because if you ever think righteousness has to do with performance, then you're going to be one confused dude or dudette. That's not how... We come to God on the basis of our own merit, but by his grace, we simply receive his mercy and his grace by faith. Amen. But 
these, but these things can, as I said, they, they, they confuse people. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall, what? Make you free. The truth shall make you free. You won't be free until you know the truth. You can hear the truth, but if you don't know the truth, you won't be free. But when you know it, you're unstoppable. You're unstoppable. But so knowing these things is important. Knowing what righteousness is and how it pertains to us and what it looks like in our lives is extremely important. There, but there, you know, I was, I, uh, teach at Christ for the Nations Bible School, and, and I teach a class called homiletics, which is uh, the art and science of preaching. I teach people how to preach and how to construct a sermon, uh, specifically an expository sermon, and teach them how to find illustrations and make their points and all those kinds of things. And, but part of the, uh, the, the course, in part of the course, we learn about vocabulary, the, the, the usage of words, the importance of words, the importance of, of pronouncing them right and using them in the right way, especially since we are in pulpits and, and we want to keep the language as pure as possible, even though, you know, new words are finding their way in the dictionary uh, that start off as slang and then they just become part of uh, our, our world. And so... I talked to them about misusages of words, common misusages, like or phrases or things like that. For, for instance, uh, first come, first serve. If you say first come, first serve, the actual phrase is first come, first served. First come, first serve means the first one who gets here has to serve everybody that's following. <laughs> or these are, but these are common things. For all, you hear this, for all intensive purposes. It's all intents and purposes. For all intents and purposes, not for all intensive purposes. Which makes no sense, really. <laughs> or if you go to Starbucks, order an espresso, not an expresso. Espresso, that's the proper usage. All right? And the, the word is prestigious, not prestigious. But people try to sound prestigious by saying prestigious. <laughs> Malpractice of our words for all intensive purposes. <laughs> Righteousness and holiness are often misunderstood and misappropriated. Just because you walk straight doesn't automatically mean that you're walking with God. People live well-disciplined lives all the time and not walk with God. So, uh, well, that's, that's really the construct of religion. It's man's effort. It, because the truth is, <clears throat> you don't ever arrive actually at righteousness that way. You do arrive at righteousness known as self-righteousness through performance. Uh, the first thing I want to get to you today concerning the law of righteousness is righteousness comes one way. Can anybody guess how righteousness comes? By faith. Very good. You're a good class. Give yourself a gold star today. Righteousness comes one way, by faith. Now, we all, as children of Abraham, that is, those of us who believe on the Lord, the scripture says that we are all sons of Abraham through faith. We're all children of Abraham through faith in Jesus, through what he did. Well, if, if that's true, then we have to know how did Abraham become who he was? How did he become righteous before God? And when you read his story, I love talking about Abraham and, and his life because, well, we need to understand it, first of all, but it's such a wonderful example of the progression of a life lived by faith. In, in Genesis chapter 12, 
is the beginning of Abraham's life, the beginning of the story of Abraham's life. And the Lord told him, he's 75 years old, and the Lord tells him, get up and get out of your country, and, and I'm going to take you to a place that you do not know. He's 75. It's time to settle down at 75, isn't it? I mean, shouldn't you be playing golf every weekend and, you know, play, playing with the grandkids or getting ready to die or whatever? I don't know. But he's 75 years old. I'm just kidding. 75 years old. Shut up, holler. 75 years old, and then the Lord tells him, get up. And guess what Abraham did? Abraham obeyed the Lord. He obeyed the Lord, and he went out. He left his, everything that he knew, all his life, all of his, his history there, and, and just left all his comfort there and left to know something that he didn't know, to experience something that he never had experienced. He obeyed God. But my family, Abraham was not righteous when he obeyed God. He had a great virtue of obedience, but he was not made righteous there. And you need to get over to the next chapter, Acts chapter, I mean, Acts. Wow, that's a, that's a, that's, that is the next chapter. Genesis 13, and, and we see that Abraham gets to where God told him to go, and there's a famine there. I mean, he's there at a wasteland. So what does he do? He goes over to Egypt. And that in the time that he was in Egypt, the scripture says by the time he came out of there, he came out with great wealth, great abundance in silver, gold, and cattle. I don't care how I get my abundance as long as it's made up of silver, gold, and cattle. I like all three of those things. Silver, gold, and cattle. He comes out and he's blessed. So Abraham's obedient. Abraham's blessed. But Abraham's not righteous. Later on in that same chapter, in chapter 13, he's with his nephew Lot. And, and they've become so abundant in their livestock that there's this quarreling going on between their foremen. So finally, Abraham says, listen, let's, let's settle this issue. Why don't we separate now? Whatever you go, if you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. So Abraham wasn't demanding that he gets a certain plot of land. This shows the kind of humility this man had. He was willing to just take the next thing. Humility. Abraham is obedient. Abraham is blessed. Abraham is humble. And yet, Abraham is not righteous. Then we go over to the next chapter, chapter 14. An interesting thing happens. Lot and his crew get kidnapped. So now Abraham has to go on a rescue mission. So he has these 318 men in his, under his employ. And he takes these guys and he, he has trained them all to fight. So he you know, loads them up with weapons. And, and they head out to go rescue Lot. Well, these five kings had become allies together in this effort. So Abraham and his men, 318, had to take on five kings. All right? Not just five kings. Those kings all represent armies. And it, they won. And Abraham and his men whipped up on those five kings, rescued Lot and all those who had been taken into captivity, along with the spoils of war, and they head back. They come back, and Abraham comes into this valley, the scripture says, it was called the Valley of Kings. The Valley of Kings was a place that only royalty could be at. That's why they called it the Valley of Kings. Only kings could be there. And Abraham is coming there to the Valley of Kings to bring those who had been uh, kidnapped back and to bring the spoils of war back. And just as he's coming in there to that place, there's a mystical figure from the scriptures by the name of Melchizedek. Let's make a friend of that word today. Melchizedek. Melchizedek was also a king. The scripture says that he was the king of Salem. Also, he was a priest. And Melchizedek shows up with what you and I had today. He shows up in front of Abraham with bread and with wine. All right? And, and he says to Abraham, 
Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. So after, upon hearing this pronouncement of blessing, Abraham does something extraordinary, all right, that no one in history has done up to this moment as far as we know. We know that there were some offerings given, like by Caleb, I'm not Caleb, by uh, Abel and Cain, but nothing as specific as Abraham's. The scripture says that he took of the spoils of war 10% or a tithe, and he gave it to the priest. That's interesting, isn't it? The priest didn't ask him for that, didn't demand it. He just pronounced a blessing, and Abraham responded to that blessing by giving 10%. I would like to, as the pastor of this church and as the overseer of this ministry, knowing what it takes to, to have ministry, I would love, I wish I had, I, I just wish I could tell you, it, if you tithe, you'll be made righteous. But it's not the truth. So he gives out of a response to the blessing. Think about this. He's obedient. He's blessed. He's humble. And he tithes, and yet he's still not righteous. It's not until we get over to chapter 15 that something marvelous happens. And the Lord appeared to him, and at this time Abraham's about 84 years old. And he says, I'm your exceeding great reward, Abram. This word of the Lord came to him in a vision. And Abraham said, God, what are you going to give me? You've been talking about these generations coming from me, and you're going to bless and multiply my seed abundantly. I don't have any kids. I, seeing I go childless, how are you going to do this? And then God said, get up out of your tent. So he got up, and it was nighttime. And he said, look up at the stars. If you're able to number them, so will your seed be. And verse 6 of Genesis 15, if we can bring that up on the screen for all of us to see. And it says, and he believed in the Lord. That is, Abraham believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Wow, think about all those things that Abraham did up to this point had not gained him any right standing with God. Only when he believed him. He believed God, and God said, that faith equals righteousness. That faith he accounted it to Abraham as righteousness. Abraham threw up faith, and God said, that's righteousness. Isn't that interesting? So we are all then, as children of God, sons of Abraham, by faith in Jesus Christ. So there are no, these are not then laws of performance that we're looking at. These are laws of the heart. And you know what? You'll never stop doing Stupid things by feeling bad and feeling condemned about those things. By hearing the word of God, continually hearing the word of God is what you, allows you to stay in this atmosphere of faith coming to you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes, see. And, and, and then the more you listen to the word and the more you look into the scriptures, into what God has said, you believe then you are who he says you are when you believe who you are now in Christ, then your behavior will line up yeah. with your belief. Yeah. Righteousness comes one way, though, by faith in God. For by grace, you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Let's look at the second thought about this law of righteousness is that righteousness is a gift from God. Let's go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 54. Everybody out there? Come on, I need you to, come on, give me a big hug. Can you reach me? Just give me a big hug. Say, I love you, Pastor Eric. 
All right. Thank you. I love you guys, too. That felt, that made me feel real good. Isaiah 54, verse 9. Look at this. For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be angry with you, nor rebuke you. Now, this is the Lord speaking, and he says, this is like... So when I read that, I say, what? God, why would you say something like that? What would make you say something like that? What is the this that you're talking about that you would say that you're never going to be angry again? As sure as you're never going to flood the earth with water, you will never be angry again. Wow, amazing. You know, I don't know how studiers of the scriptures, those who study and who prepare messages and who present God's message to people, act like that verse doesn't exist. And they still preach about an angry God who's angry with sin when none of that is true anymore. None of it. This is like the waters of Noah. How many of you believe, I think I'm in good company here today, that, how many of you believe that there will never, ever, ever be a worldwide flood again? You believe that'll never happen. Now, why do you believe that? God said it. But we also have some evidence of that promise, don't we? Like Jeremiah was talking earlier. The evidence is that once in a while, you'll see a rainbow in the clouds. God put that rainbow there. And he said that is going to be a sign to you of my promise. That's going to be a sign of this covenant that I've made with you, with the earth and with men on the earth, that I'm never going to flood the earth again. And God put that rainbow in the clouds, not only for us to see, but also for him to remember his covenant. But what's fascinating is, is that in, when you read the book of Revelation and you read about heaven, chapters 19, 20, 21, and it describes the throne room and all that's going on there. And it says that there's a rainbow that is around the throne of God or around the shoulders of God. Imagine this. So God took what was in heaven and he made it visible to our eyes so that we would always constantly remember him saying to us, as I am not angry in heaven, so I am not angry with man on earth. And it just so happens that the rainbow, made up of various colors, represents something. Just those colors themselves. In Peter, Peter says that we need to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The word manifold in the Greek means various colors. Colors, the various colored grace of God. Isn't that marvelous? That that it's not an accident then that there's various colors around that throne. The scripture teaches us that in Hebrews that that throne is called the throne of what? Grace. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What is the this that he's talking about? What is it? How is it that God got over his anger, just like he got over his anger toward man about that flood? How is it that he got over this anger for good, that he would say that? Well, Isaiah chapter 53, the preceding chapter says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes 
We are healed. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What that means is we were all living life for ourselves. We turned our backs on God. Nobody was pursuing righteousness, as we read earlier. We weren't looking for God. We were living life for ourselves, and God was maybe a thought way back here in the back of our minds, or unless we got into some serious trouble, and then we'd make a deal with God. Lord, if you'll get me out of it this time. All of a sudden, we remember him when we find ourselves in trouble. But in the everyday life, we just weren't looking for him. That's what it's talking about. We were, we'd gone astray. Everybody's turned to his own way. And this is what God did. Listen to me. This is what God did. God blamed Jesus for all of our going astray. He laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Jesus gladly took the blame for that. Verse 11, he shall see the labor of his soul, talking about Jesus, and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. That's the this he was talking about. What, Jesus is the this. This is like the waters of what Jesus has done. He has satisfied God's wrath toward our sin. Hallelujah. When he bore our sins, not only did he bear our sins, he also bore the consequences of that sin, even death itself. Hallelujah. So that we could be free. He took upon himself God's anger. He took our judgment and he carried out our sentence. Now, let's look at verse 17 of 54 for a moment. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Now, family, let that just be settled in your heart and mind today because the weapon many times will form. It doesn't say no weapon. It says no weapon formed. It doesn't say it'll never form. It'll never take shape. They do take shape, but it still won't prosper. Just because it forms doesn't mean it will prosper. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue, say every tongue, which rises against you, how? In judgment you shall condemn. Wow. This is every tongue, which means what you and I need to think about. It's not just every man's tongue. This also has to be talking about God's tongue. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. So what he's saying is, this is so sure for you, that God will not Rise against you in judgment, because if he did, then you could condemn his tongue. Wow. Since he won't rise against you in judgment, though, never, because he judged Jesus, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He'll never do that. Because if God judges you after he judges Jesus, then he's really not all that good. Then he's not just. To my family, he is just. And he is good. And he's not going to go back on his word. He's not going to go around his son's sacrifice. God's not going to do just whatever he wants to do. No, no, no. He did what he wanted to do. It pleased him to bruise his son so that you and I could be seen as blameless and holy in his sight. Come, can we just say thank you, Jesus? Thank you, Jesus, for taking all my blame. Thank you for bearing my sins and my death. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your precious blood. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. This is the heritage. Verse 17. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is what? From me. Righteousness is a gift 
from God. Their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Lastly, the third thing about this law of righteousness, besides righteousness comes one way by faith, one way. Righteousness is a gift from God. And thirdly, righteousness is a conviction of the Holy Spirit. Righteousness is a conviction of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to John chapter 16 on our final, final stop here. John chapter 16, look at verse 7. Nevertheless, Jesus speaking, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Can you imagine what the disciples must have thought at this moment when Jesus, who's been with them three and a half years now, tells them, it's to your advantage or it's to your benefit that I go away. I'm sure that they were not thinking that was true. Lord, where are you going? What do you mean you're going away? What do you mean? How is that to our advantage? How do we benefit from that? They later on would find that out, but in that moment, I'm sure it was kind of terrifying. You're better off without Jesus here. You're better off with Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father on the throne of the universe. Amen. You're better off because he is there right now making intercession for you. He's there representing you before God. Amen. I'd rather have Jesus in me than beside me. Yeah. Hallelujah. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Verse 8. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Verse 9, he's going to explain what all that means. Of sin, because they do not believe on me. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of the sin of unbelief, period. The sin of unbelief. You know, me and my dad were having this discussion the other day and talking about putting this the Bible lists of what the Bible calls sin and what people call sin. Because much of what people call sin isn't even in the scriptures. All right? It's all rooted actually in unbelief. That's the main sin. And that's what he's come to convict the world of, of unbelief. And maybe we'll go over that list sometime. He's not as concerned about the sin that is being committed as much as he is concerned about why. What's in the person's heart? This is what God is looking at, is the hearts of people. Look at verse 10. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. That's interesting. He's convicting the world of righteousness. Actually, he convicts the world of sin. He's here to convict you of righteousness as his children. I'm making a mistake. That's who you are. Righteousness, so that... We will now act like him in the earth, see? He's not going to be here to demonstrate how a man should act on this earth. He doesn't convict you of your sin to get you to act right. No, he convicts you of righteousness so that you'll act right. It's a whole different thing. As I told you before, my dad used to say this to me and my brother, all that, especially when we were teenagers, knowing how teenage boys think perverts. <laughs> We'd be going out for the night. <laughs> See, all the guys laugh because they understand exactly what I'm talking about. We'd go, we'd go, when we'd go out for the weekend, we'd, we'd just be leaving out Friday night, you know, bathed in cologne. <laughs> and as we're heading out the door, my dad would never let us leave without saying these words, boys, and we knew it was coming. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. Yes, sir. Now, I didn't always remember who I was, but 
He told me anyway. See, God's not telling you that you need to be righteous. He's already made you righteous. He's just telling you to be who you are. Remember who you are. Remember that he who knew no sin became sin for you, that you might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen. I like this scripture in Corinthians. It says, awaken to righteousness and do not sin. Or awaken to righteousness and sin not. But these legalistic preachers have it backwards. They say, if you don't sin, then, then you'll act righteous. No, that's not true. It's not true. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. When I awaken to who I am, and sin won't be an issue. Hey, let me just remind you today, you don't have to sin if you don't want to. Because if you buy into the old religious phrase, well, we're all just sinners saved by grace, by God, right? Then you'll always have an excuse for your failure, right? You'll just kind of throw your hands up in the air if you do fail and go, well, after all, <laughs> we're all sinners saved by grace, right? So you never really get free. Never really, you don't have to sin. I'm not saying it's probable. I'm just saying it's possible, all right? Don't have to. Because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Now your reality is Christ in me, the hope of glory. You have that God nature inside of you. You've been born all over you again. You're not still evil on the inside and God made you look pretty on the outside. If that's it, then he didn't do a very good job. But you've been born all over again. Hallelujah. New thing has come. Old things are gone. New things have come. Hallelujah. And see, when you awaken to that, when you really awaken to that, Get that in your heart and in your mouth and in your thinking. You won't want to do the things you don't want to do. You'll be so busy about doing the things that you're supposed to do that you won't have time to do the things you don't want to do. If you get busy doing the do's, you won't have time to do the don'ts. Amen. And lastly, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Well, who's the ruler of this world? <laughs> some, some guy say my wife. Wasn't me. <laughs> Makes me think about the that time they were having church, and uh, all of a sudden in the back doors the devil walked in the building, and he's making his way up front down the aisle. And I mean, as people saw him, they scatter to the whim, and they're running out of that building as fast as they can. The preacher's up there preaching; he doesn't really notice what's going on until about half the room's empty. He says, what? And that devil's walking right up the aisle, right up toward the pulpit. Finally, the preacher sees him, and the preacher himself runs out of the room. The entire place is empty except one old man sitting on the front row. And the devil walks up on the stage, and he stands behind the pulpit, and he sees the old man out there, and he says, Hey, old man, don't you know who I am? The old man says, Yeah, I know who you are. He says, Everybody else ran off because they're scared. You're not scared? I'm not scared of you. Why aren't you scared? I've been married to your sister for the last 45 years. <laughs> <laughs> of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. In other words, the devil, his sentence has already been declared, and that is he lost. He lost. He lost. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested to destroy the works of the devil. Let me ask you something. Did he do it? Did he do it? Now, we'll see the finality of it when everything comes to a close. But we do know in the spirit it has happened. The devil, he's rendered him powerless. There's no reason for one day of your life 
to give in to fear of that yeah. defeated devil. He has no, no place in right. your life. Matter of fact, all he has the power to do now, think about this. All he has the power to do now is to roam about, the scripture says, like a roaring lion. It doesn't say he is a roaring lion. It just says he's got a big mouth. Like a roaring lion, he tries to intimidate. He, arr, arr, but he's just, there's nothing to him. He's powerless, but he's got this, this roar that can be intimidating. And so he's looking for whom he, the scripture says, may devour. He can't just go devour. He has to be given permission. To anybody who will say, yeah, come on over here. Destroy my life. Huh? Welcome. Bring all the chaos with you. Hmm? He can't just go do that. If he, could, if he had the power to do that, I mean, he'd be knocking planes out of the sky every day. I mean, he would just be, we think it's bad now. If the devil actually had control, oh my God. Seeking whom he may devour. He's judged. He's powerless. And you're free. Righteousness comes one way, by faith. Righteousness is a gift from God, and righteousness is a conviction of the Holy Spirit. He's there to remind you. Hey, you're better than that. That's not who you are. That's not who you are. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. You're a child of the living God. Christ lives in you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time with these great people here and every family that's represented. Lord, I pray for great grace and great peace to be multiplied to them. Lord, we thank you for this word today, and we pray, God, that, that your word will take its full effect in our lives. It's life to us who find it. It's health to all of our flesh. There are some of those who, who need to experience the life that your word brings in a greater way today. Lord, I just thank you right now for your grace to them. Some who have, have come in here, Lord, with a, a, a thought, the, the thinking, Lord, that uh, because of their failings and because of their missteps and because of the things that they've done, Lord, that they're not worthy for some reason. Father God, that's not how you see them. You see them worth the death of your son. You made them worthy by giving us Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I just pray today every word of accusation from that stupid lying devil, Lord, would dissipate and be removed from their lives by the power of your truth, God. That your truth, Lord, would take hold in their lives, that they will live in your freedom, Father. Thank you, Lord, that you bring joy, you bring peace, you bring blessing into their lives. Jesus, you said, come to me, all of you who are weary, all of those who are laid down with burdens. Take my yoke upon you. Here, give it to me, and I'll give you mine, because my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I just pray, God, for that exchange today. You said, cast all your cares on me, because I care for you. So we release these things to you, Lord, these things that we weren't made to bear anyway. We weren't made to carry these things. Jesus, you carried them all for us so that we can live in freedom today. I thank you, Father God, for being a very present help in time of need. Lord, there are some here today who really need some help in their situation, and I thank you that you are available. You're available and you're willing to help to those who will simply ask and receive. Thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We thank you for that precious message that came to us, that gospel that saved our lives, that message that told us that Jesus died for our sins. We don't have to die for our sins. He did it for us.
they buried him in a tomb and God raised him from the dead three days later. And whoever believes on him will have everlasting life. Thank you for that gospel. Today, if you don't know the Lord, believe that gospel. Believe on him today and receive salvation. Believe on him. It's that simple. It's by grace through faith. Righteousness is a gift to you. And God loves you so much that he does not want to, he does not want to live without you. Receive this gift today. You can say it simply like this, Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying for me. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you rose again. And I believe now that you are my Lord and Savior. And by doing that, I am your child. I'm not someone on the outside looking in. I'm not a stranger to you any longer. You're not just the man upstairs in my life. Now you're my heavenly father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.